what a lot of people don't realize is it doesn't matter how much money you make, you know, whether you work a nine to five, you are an executive at a tech company or executive at GM, or you're a pro athlete, it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you don't have financial literacy, inevitably you will go broke. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today's show is an absolute thrill. We have Hakeem Vallis here. And for anyone in Arizona, Detroit, or New York, you might recognize him. He played for the Lions, the Cardinals, and the Giants. Uh, Hakeem, thank you for joining the show. Bradley, Drew, really, really appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely, man. And uh, I mean, I have so much that I would love to ask you, but nothing uh, comes to mind more than, you know, it's well-documented. And we talked a little about this before the show, but it's it's well-documented that pro athletes go broke after they get done playing. And they spend enormous amounts of money while they're playing because uh, they think that, you know, their careers are going to go on forever um, and not realizing that the average player only plays, you know, 3.2 or whatever years it is, the averages, um, and and they end up going broke. But you were the exact opposite. Uh, tell me why that is and where that mindset came from. Uh, I think it's, it's multifaceted. Uh, it starts with exposure and education. You know, I was exposed to real estate at a young age. And then when I made it to college, my degree was uh, business with a concentration in real estate. And the, the girl I was dating at the time, her dad had a house flipping business and we flipped a whole bunch of houses. And going into the NFL already with that preconceived mindset that, you know, with real estate eyes, what a lot of people don't realize is it doesn't matter how much money you make, you know, whether you work a nine to five, you are an executive at a tech company or executive at GM or you're a pro athlete, it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you don't have financial literacy, inevitably you will go broke. And when you look at statistically speaking, NFL players uh, come from a low income, more of a lower income background um, because of being the top percentile of athlete in their class, their entire life, since they were five years old, they played a sport every season, baseball, basketball, football, whatever, whatever sports, three sports mm-hmm. they played, you know, throughout the years, mm-hmm. high school came, summertime came around, they had summer travel league, AAU, all that type of stuff, college because of NCAA rules, unless you were bending the rules like me, you weren't flipping houses, you had to, like, I, I was doing yeah. it while I was taking summer classes, while I was playing, used to make my classes at night, so in the morning, I could be up in North Jersey, knocking down walls, putting down floors. Yeah. But your average college athlete isn't getting that. So now you're in the NFL, you're 22, 23 years old. Another thing a lot of people don't realize is, is back to financial literacy. NFL players aren't paid 52 weeks out of the year. They're paid only 17 weeks. So you take a young 22, 23-year-old who's rookie minimum, you know, my rookie year is $450,000. Instead of pe- getting paid that over 52 weeks, you're now getting paid that over 17 and, and, and 450 divided by 17 is $26,000 a week. And when you give a young 22, 23 year old that much money in a week, it's pretty easy to spend 10,000 a week 
and save 16. You know, week one, make 26, spend 10. Week two, make 26, spend 10. Week three, make 26, spend 10. Week 17, make 26, spend 10. Now the offseason starts and you make zero, spend 10. But now you're also at home. So now you're with your friends. Now you're with your family. Now you're going on trips. Now you have time to travel and, you know, unstructured free time uh, in a sense. And now you have the spending habits of someone who makes $26,000 a week in a 52-week year. And in reality, you don't. But th- those, those spending habits become subconscious and, and psychological to a point where now what you see is a lot of guys, by the time we get back around, coming back for OTAs and minicamp, there's guys who, if they don't make the team, they can't pay their mortgage. If they don't make the team, they can't pay their car note. And that's doesn't like back to it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're going to wind up living check to check, which 97% of America already does. And, you know, uh, somebody that brought that to point while he was playing, uh, you know, Ryan Broyles, second on pick at Oklahoma from Detroit. You know, he was uh, we were actually friends with him and and he's within the real estate community. I'm sure you know that. Um, Mm -hmm. But he used to speak to that a lot as well. Um, And so let's plug your your podcast coming out. Tell us about tell us the name of it, of course, um, and then kind of what what you're hoping to do with that. Uh, it's called Pro Athletes in Real Estate. Um, and funny, Ryan Burles is actually going to be a future guest uh, awesome. on the show, which is exciting. Um, <clears throat> essentially, it's just, you know, I'm I'm trying to create a podcast by athletes for athletes, not just like a let me, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like, not like a look at us, we're pro athletes. This is what we're yeah. doing. This is like pretending you're speaking to an audience of rookies right now. Ryan Broyles as I'm interviewing you like that's the type of advice and type of person we're speaking to yeah um but trying to just create community um and just one a whole bunch of value on the pro athlete side and then as I'm comfortable deploying capital again and and seeing where the right opportunities align I'll build a solid network of other pro athletes alongside of me and other pro athletes that are also looking to get into the space as well I'm sure you're going to get a lot of non-pro athletes that love to listen to that podcast too and can learn from it because it, it's a lot like what you said. Um, you know, everyone's going to end up living paycheck to paycheck. So it really doesn't matter how much you make. It's how much you spend. And those mindsets are probably going to transfer over to someone like me who has a nine to five and sits on the couch and watches football instead of plays it. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So let's transition into your background. Um, tell us about the, the house hacks you did and, and after, you know, you flip, uh, properties in, in college. Uh, but at, once you became a pro kind of talk, walk us through some of the deals you, uh, have you've done. Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I, when I finished training or while I was training, uh, so this is 2015 of, uh, January, 2015 kind of had an oh crap moment. Cause back when I was flipping houses, I was flipping with my, my ex-girlfriend's dad, but we had broken up. So that relationship had just completely ended. And I just had like a moment of like, man, if I don't make it to the league, like I'm going to be back at home on my couch. Cause like I, I'd started, I went to boarding school for high school and then went to college. I was out of the house independent for the past nine years, but it was like, mm-hmm. everything was a reality of like, it's either NFL or go home. Like there's really no in between mm-hmm. all my eggs in this basket, just paused my MBA at the time. Um, and that was when I found out about the platform bigger pockets and started educating myself on real estate just heavily, 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 and found out about the house hacking method and really decided, you know, whatever city I make it to in the NFL, I'm, I'm doing real estate. And if I don't make it to the NFL, I'm probably going to figure out ways to bootstrap and do no money, low money down methods of getting into real estate. And 
made it to the Arizona Cardinals and was like, perfect. This is a great market. But quickly realized, so this is April, quickly realized we don't get paid until September. Um, so I was like, all right, I just need to, one, make this team and put my head down for a little bit. And once got out to Phoenix, I was paying two grand a month for a month-to-month apartment. And I witnessed my little brother, who's also an NFL player, he was playing for the Oakland Raiders at one time and got pretty much traded from the Raiders to the Bills like overnight, but was still locked into another six months on a three grand, like three grand a month lease in, in Oakland, California, no, San Francisco, California. And it was just like 18 grand just going to air with an yeah. empty apartment. And I'm like, one, I can't let that happen. So the first way I mitigated that was getting a month to month lease, which obviously made it more expensive at two grand a month. But then I was like, still did the math. I'm like, oh, it's $24,000. It's going straight to air. And as soon as that rookie season ended, January 1st came around, um, put out a post on like the bigger pockets threads, trying to network and meet other multifamily slash house hacking investors in the Phoenix Tempe area and took all of them out to coffee. About 40 of them kind of got back to me and found an investor slash realtor who uh, pretty much showed me the ropes. You know, we underwrote hundreds of properties and then finally found a fourplex that was i mean i sacrificed i had a 50 minute commute every single day to my practice facility um when i played for the cardinals and had section eight tenants living in the same building as me um but i found a a, a two hundred sixty-eight thousand uh four unit apartment in uh, north phoenix and uh house hacked it that's awesome how did you uh finance that deal so for that one we used the fha loan um, was able to put, I put a little bit more than three and a half percent down, um, just running the numbers. It just made more sense. So I could actually cash flow while I was living there. Um, so I put down like maybe 4%, to put, like my total okay. payment after everything was like 13 grand. It was, uh, yeah, FHA loan. Then, you know, I'm sure everyone on the, on the show knows this, but you know, mm-hmm. you can buy it up to four units, uh, with as little as three and a half percent down. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, you're not going to be able to buy any property. It's, you know, there's limited assets that you can buy under FHA, but there's a property always within two of most people's radius. Yeah. It depends on what are you willing to sacrifice in terms of mm-hmm. your commute, in terms of getting into real estate. So before we get into that, because it, it sounds like your whole story, it revolves around sacrifice and your ability to do that for the greater good of, of yourself and, and your financial literacy and, and, and just all of that. But for those curious, and that's probably mostly me. Uh, how is, uh, how was it to get financing as a rookie in the NFL? It wasn't that bad. Um, you know, I didn't have two years of W2 because I didn't I right. have a job in college and all that. It helped having an NFL contract, um, playing, I already, already played a season. So I had, you know, okay. six figures in the bank, which helped. And then also had a contract through the next season and like, that was on paper signed, you know, cool. that essentially they wanted to see everything and, and proof of proof of finances, proof of future finances and having enough of a nest egg and being able to, I think, pay at least a year or maybe 18 months of the mortgage, like in your mm-hmm. bank. Account. Um, and that made them comfortable. But it was only like, I mean, it was, it was a 30 day process of they wanted something new every single day. Like the, the mortgage company called every single day for hey, mm-hmm. Uh, this bill, that bill, can you, yeah. the GM to send or sign the assistant, you're, someone in the finance department to sign this or do this. Yeah. But yeah. as long as you're compliant to all the things they asked for, it was about a 30 day process of BS and then yeah. another 30 days to close. 
with the question of of sacrifice, I have a little bit of a theory. You know, I I, I played in college. We have a lot of uh, listeners that played in college. Um, you know, and and it, there's all so, there's sort of a atmosphere of sacrifice, uh, specifically in football. You know, we sacrifice uh, our whole lives. I know, like in college, we uh, we put off you know some of the, some of the nightlife to to put in extra work uh, in the gym and and catching balls, and we're doing it all year round. Uh, you know, and things of that nature. Um, was that, do you think that helped you a little bit uh, in, in a lot of the sacrifice that you made? 100%. I mean, I think there's two two types of guys. There's the guys who sacrifice and the guys who don't. And there's the guys who sacrifice when people are watching, in a sense. Uh, yeah. This is actually just putting in the work, like, in those quiet hours. Like, I think it, it is exactly what you said. It is. I think of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of a, a funny story I always think about in college that it's like, it's such a small sacrifice that like, it's not even a sacrifice. I don't know what you call it, but yeah. it was, have you ever partied at like Penn State before? No, I have not. So Penn State has uh, Arts Fest. I don't know when it is every year, but we went there like twice because we had some friends who went there. Yeah. And I remember like, we were all carpooling and I was driving like five or six of us were going. But back to catching balls, I just moved to tight end and like I was trying to catch like hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of balls a day. But like I held up the carpool because I had to get my hands in. And oh, I yeah. like, as that, like even like making yeah. it to the league, but like sacrifice, I think comes in a lot of different ways. But a quote that always stuck with me was sacrifice who you are for who you want to be. Um, and I think that's what it ultimately, you know came down to from a football standpoint. And then also from, uh, it, it, I think it's a, it's a strong parallel. And I think a lot of athletes should definitely tap back in to those sacrifices that we've made in our own sports and like our own lives, except it's like, you did that for a team and for like a coach and for like a program, like, what are you, are you going to show up for yourself? Let's talk specifically uh, about you had mentioned before you had a used vehicle and I, I forget the, yeah. the make and model you had, but um, I mean, I, I can only imagine the kind of sacrifice that would be. And, and probably a lot of your teammates were probably making fun of you because there is an atmosphere of of high spending, like you said, um, within the league and, and just in general, even even people with a normal nine to five. I mean, if, if you get in with a company and you uh, make it up to a certain level, I mean, there's just sort of a atmosphere of, you know, if you make a little money, you got to go spend it right away and you got to go get a new car. Uh, talk about that. Like what, what you know, because the savings rate is so important and a lot of times vehicles are some of the biggest drainers on that. hundred percent. So I, so I finesse, I'm a big finesser, like in a, in a, in a, like an interesting way. Like I took, so I actually have a Chevy Camaro and like I wrapped it in matte black. So it looks dope. Like it looks like a Batmobile yeah. $13,000 for it, like all cash. And like it, it, like people look at it like, oh my god! I'm like, honestly, I bought it all cash. It's cheaper than your car, probably yeah. <laughs> half the price of your car. And you work at Staples, like, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it, it it's a uh, it you know I, I my thesis is buy used cars in your 20s that you can afford to buy with all cash, and like that yeah. should be the rule. Like until you're in your 30s and you know you got a family and all that type of stuff, you need you got to worry about safety for your car and all that type of stuff. Understandable while you're in your twenties and you're single and all that type of stuff. Like I don't think like you can't afford it if you can't buy it in all cash, in my opinion, one man's opinion. Um, but it's like you buy a used car and you can still like, I'm going to, I bought it for, I'm, I'm going to sell it from, I'm, I'm selling it right now. Cause it hurts my back. Cause my knees are like higher than my, 
my uh, my butt, like when I'm sitting yeah. down. Um, but I'll be able to get anywhere from nine, ten thousand for it. Like the the price may have deep depreciated three, four grand, but had that car since 2016, and yeah. the paint is fresh because there was a matte a matte black wrap on it, so there's like all white paint under it. And uh, but used cars are important, like people, man. And I'm not I'm not one to look or you know pocket watch is like a term we used to say growing up. Like you know don't don't watch or 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 talk about what's going on in another man or woman's pockets. But at the end of the day, man, there's so much more you could do with that money versus like, and you're financing it on top of it. Like, it's like, come on, like, but it's back to education and, and exposure. Yeah. What have you been exposed to in terms yeah. of, have you seen opportunities that you can get into with 13, 15, $20,000 and know what you can actually, like most people don't know what they could do with $20,000. Most people see $20,000 uh-huh. first thought is to go on a trip or buy something. It's so refreshing to hear, uh, you know, that come from an athlete, you know, someone that was exposed to that sort of lifestyle and still, you know, understand. I mean, people, we talked about it uh, on our last podcast, the fact that I think there's a lot of, um, there's like a, most people don't realize that for $13,000, you can buy a $270,000 uh, fourplex, you know, in, in 50 minutes away from, you know, Cardinal Stadium. Uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, it's just for whatever reason, people aren't exposed to that or don't realize it. And they think they got to bring 20,000 or 20% down to that fourplex. And you can literally move into that for, you know, very little down. Fortunately, like no one at a young age, unless you're exposed to it, like you said, you're going to have no clue about any of that stuff. Right. What what you're most people are exposed to is buying the nice car and buying the nice clothes and the biggest house and the nice watches and all that stuff. I mean, that's all over the media. It's all over social media and all that. I mean, that's the biggest exposure. And unfortunately, we aren't necessarily or most people aren't taught that at a young age when they should be taught, you know, how you should handle money. For me, it took until my early 20s. And then even then it was like, I had to take some courses. I had to find people that had the same mindsets. I had to do a lot of self-education just to even get there. That's real. So you've done a lot of real estate deals and, uh, we know you, you have some business ventures too, and I'd love to talk about those, but maybe, uh, we can talk about some real estate deals and is there any specific real estate deals that you've done or any purchases that you made that really stood out to you that you want to share your experience on? Honestly, the biggest experience and it's a long, it's been a long process, but it's a different industry, but it's a real estate play for us. And all my partners are real estate guys. Uh, back when I was with the lions, uh, we bought a 40 acre parcel, uh, in Pinconning, Michigan. So about two hours North of uh, Metro Detroit, uh, bought it for half a million dollars hedging that cannabis was going to go recreational back in November of 2018, which was going to be about like nine or 10 months later. And when it did go wreck, we got an offer for $7 million on that same parcel of land. And instead of cashing out, we realized the leverage we had um, in terms of it was, I mean, it's about the largest parcel of land in the state that is zoned uh, to stack unlimited Class C licenses uh, for the uh, cultivation side of the cannabis space. So these last two and a half years, we've spent uh, meeting with and touring the facilities of some of the best growers in the country uh, to enter strategic partnerships with them. And... Uh, take 50% of their business and allow them to grow on our land. So that's been a, it's been an exciting, but it's been a development project. So we've just got uh, financed by a hedge fund company out of, out of uh, New York, gave us about a $19 million valuation to fund our first uh, construction of this first warehouse and essentially continue to work with them along the process. Uh, Cause we have the capacity to put 42 of them on there. 
I, I can absolutely see why, you know, hedge funds and a lot of people are attracted to you uh, because your entire story revolves around like delayed gratification. How many people would, you know, and obviously you have these partners that think like-minded like you as well. I mean, how often do people, uh, you know, take the very first thing when money comes their way? You know, like how many people would be able to delay uh, that kind of a return on your investment, $7 million, where you looked at that and said, well, if it's worth seven today, just imagine what we can do. Instead of selling it, let's, you know, let's see how we can bring some of the top cannabis producers in the country together and take a portion of their, uh, you know, their company to use our, you know, obviously great strategic investment that we've made. Um, You know, and, and, and just over and over and over, I can see that within your life. Uh, that you've just you've cultivated this mindset of delayed gratification, um, you know, and and that's something that I relate to. And I, part of the reason that I think is just, I mean, that's why I, I'm such a huge, obviously, fan of football and and sports. Is just if you take it the right way and you get yourself in the right community. I mean, that's literally what they preach all the time. You know, we're we are we're practicing and 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 working in the gym in April, you know, May, June. To, to be able to put on, you know, our shoulder pads in, in August, September, you know, October. And we're just constantly, you know, cultivating that mindset of delayed gratification and sacrifice. And That's those real. who work, those who work the hardest, you know, reap the rewards later. And if you actually take that, that concept and apply it to real life, like real estate and investing and, and those concepts, if you can take those sports analogies and relate it to life, I mean, those are the ones that really, really win just like you. A hundred. I, I couldn't agree more with the delayed gratification. One thing we used to say in the NFL is it's nine months of work for 16 Sundays or <laughs> 32 hours, essentially nine months of work for 32 hours of output. And it's like, I mean, from a real estate standpoint, yeah, man, delayed gratification comes in many ways. It comes in buying the used car over the expensive car, because now on that rainy day, when the, that investment opportunity comes across your desk, you're liquid enough to actually fire versus not because you spent it on jewelry, you spent it on a car, you spent it on a condo that is in a different city that you don't even live in, that you're not even Airbnb in, right? Like it's a, it's a lot. But when you when you put things and think think about things in the grand scheme, and I mean, I just think of things as like I'm a minimalist already, so it, I don't need much. Um, but being able to you know, fire at the right opportunities. It's one of the reasons why I've pivoted into my media company to stay cash heavy um, when there's blood in the streets from a real estate standpoint. The market's still hot right now. Um, But, and I'm just not comfortable in tactics right now from a real estate standpoint. What I know what to do is just to make money. So I'm ready to actually fire when the banks aren't lending. And I've got a a, nest egg of X amount to start Let's talk about your second house hack, because uh, I don't know if it's Detroit or New York, but you said that after Arizona, you had uh, bought another house hack when you had went to another team. Was that in Detroit or was that in uh, New York? It's in Detroit. So it was actually in Allen Park. So I'm right. Do you know where the Krispy Kreme is in Allen Park? I do. I literally could see it from my living room. So nice. very simple, humble neighborhood, as I'm sure you know. Um, there's They have a bunch of duplexes there, like two-level duplexes. And I bought a duplex, bought it with conventional financing, had to put, I think, 20000 down. Um, but my mortgage was 1000 a month after that 20000 down and lived in one side. And that the market rent there would have been less than 1000 But if I Airbnb'd it, it brought in 1800 to two grand a month. Because there's a lot of longer, like two-week, three-week type of tenants that would come yeah. in there. Um, but Airbnb'd it while I was playing for the Lions, you know, the, the year and a half I, I, until I had my daughter. 
Um, once I had my daughter, I kind of used upstairs from my office and cool. and uh, kind of cleared out upstairs. But yeah, that was that was a, a sweet sweet house hack. You know, it was low money down, not low money down opportunity, but twenty thousand dollars down. Um, in like a quiet small neighborhood for it was like a hundred twenty thousand dollar property, um, but yeah, lived cool. for free, lived ten minutes away from the facility. Yeah, and you guys actually practice in Allen Park rather than Fort Field, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We practice actually about eight minutes away. Um, funny enough, I got quick uh, Lions story. I got the day I got cut from the Lions. I used to cut it close sometimes because this is I, this is I'm two months, three months into being a dad, so like barely yeah. sleeping at all and i used to leave like i knew my my drive took about eight minutes to get there i'd leave about 11 minutes before like the first <laughs> meeting and i mean you've got you're getting fined about 2600 bucks i think a minute that you're late to a meeting and there was construction on uh southfield and i was like just put on ways and just started flying through the back streets and i get pulled <laughs> over like right outside of the facility I'm like, let the guy know, like, I'm late. Like, can you just let me, like, let me go. And I go in there and every team has a, a grim reaper. He's like a guy that if you see him, you know, you're about, you're about to get cut. Like somebody's yeah. getting cut. Like that's the only reason why he's around and he's waiting at the door. And I'm like, he can only be for me. I was like, come on. Yeah. There's, and uh, that was my last day in Detroit. <laughs> so, so tell us about that. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, people would be intrigued. I mean, there's obviously a lot of motion with a situation like that. What was that like? That was awesome because um, I'll tell you, my first cut was a lot more emotional. That the Detroit cut was awesome because it was one, it felt like freedom. Um, I wasn't happy with the situation in Detroit at the time, but two, I hadn't got to spend Thanksgiving with my family for a minute because of football. Yeah, we put like, Detroit plays on, on Thanksgiving. Even with Arizona, like it's hard to go home for a day. Like when you're living in Arizona, that's a long flight lot of what are you calling it plus having practice the day before and then the day after um like one of thanksgiving and then when you're in college same thing when you're playing college football it's just a lot to actually have a real thanksgiving in that sense and it was the week before thanksgiving game and i was like perfect i literally got an airbnb up in like uh because my 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 duplex wouldn't fit everyone because it's a very small duplex um got an airbnb up in uh west bloomfield i think and uh had my whole family come out got like a sprinter van and we had like a real thanksgiving like on one of the lakes up in bloomfield so it was awesome honestly for me and then it was like boom two weeks later i'm getting signed to the giants and i get a lot more help with my baby because my my family's originally from jersey from south jersey um it was actually kind of nice but my first time i got cut was super emotional not emotional it was it was just a lot happening in my life at that time so like that time, like the mother of my child and I, we had a miscarriage like the day after the Hall of Fame game. The Cardinals, we played the Cowboys next day. Me and my, my the mother of my child, we had our first trimester appointment and we had a miscarriage. And like that was super rough going through camp with that. And then on top of that, in my fourplex, I had a tenant who so I decided to going against what they say is to get a property manager, act like you don't live there. I like my tenants knew who I was, knew I lived there. And I was just like myself, essentially. I didn't want to hide who I was, like trying to be bold, essentially. And I had a tenant who she was I was doing. You guys are familiar with cash for keys. Yeah. Like Instead of a mm-hmm. fig, I was, you know, doing cash for keys. And she 
the week she was supposed to move out, she like attempted to kill herself. And her daughter like reached out to me like saying that my mother's at the hospital. I know she has to move out. Like we're I'm gonna help move out. Blah 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 blah. So I had the mother of my child help her help her daughter move her stuff out. And while she's moving her stuff out and like looking through the unit, it is destroyed. Like she had, she was a drug addict, had a bunch of squatters living in there, had a dog I didn't even know about. The squatters locked the dog like in the back bedroom and the dog kept pooping in there. And they slid a candle in there. The dog knocked it over. Dog runs out of the room. Room caught on fire. Didn't even like, did not know about any of this. They must've put out the fire. And um, all this is happening, mind you. I just got cut, like just got cut from the Cardinals. Went home to St. Louis to uh, the my mother. Of my child was having the surgery from the miscarriage. Like, just had it. Like it was in recovery. Got home at ten o'clock at night. Next morning, wake up to ten calls from my agent. Uh, you're going to Detroit, and like in Detroit now, dealing with these phone calls from Arizona about all this madness going on at the property, the emotional trauma that just came along with the miscarriage on top of moving to a new city, having to learn a completely new playbook and social dynamics of going to a new football team. Is it like, I mean, you play college football. It's like stepping into a new locker is just, it's a lot. Yeah. And it, it was, that was heavy to be honest with you. I bet. So with those two deals, you got a, a fourplex in Arizona, uh, duplex in Detroit. I believe you had mentioned that you uh, just got done selling the fourplex. Do you do you own either one of those two still? The uh, no, I, I sold. So I sold the fourplex in July. Um, that's a good thing about having assets. Is you know when there's a pandemic or you want to hire people or whatever you want to do with whatever assets carry weight. And I, I think right now is the peak of the market. I couldn't believe I got the offer what I got for it. So it was like a no brainer to sell it. I was planning on actually selling it pre-pandemic. And when it came around, I was like, oh, no one's going to buy anything right now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I get a call from my agent. I was like, hey, I got this guy with a 1031. You might want to put your property on the market and, and check out this offer. And I was like, all right. Put it on the market, get like 15 backup offers. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're getting rid of this because I, yeah. I, <laughs> I can't believe these people are about to buy this. Um, but then my duplex, interestingly enough, I'm actually going through a lawsuit on the previous owner um, of the property because I like right before I was moving out of Detroit started to have issues like with the plumbing and uh, got the line snaked out to the backyard and like 12 feet 15 no 14 feet deep um, there's a pipe that's kind of like slid off of each other and the previous owner hit it like mm. in the backyard all like you know you take the cap the, the detector out for the snake to kind of find where it's at um, Right when we found where it's at, you touch the ground and it's fake grass and like a whole thing of rocks because the ground divots in like this mm. um, because of that pipe uh, being off. But it yeah. wasn't mentioned in the the seller's disclosures. Um, it wasn't mentioned in the seller's disclosure when, when yeah, they yeah. said, so, and it still was in the statute of limitations for uh, state of Michigan. But long story short, when I moved, I couldn't get a rental certificate because of that. So I couldn't mm. have a property manager manage a property. So it's just like now I'm I'm suing for mortgage and uh, potential rent that I've couldn't yeah. gotten these past months. Right. So, something a nightmare of a process, but something I stress that I'm an agent, real estate agent, and uh, something I stress that literally every single client I have um, is to get a sewer scope during your inspection period because uh, I've helped uh, just just this summer I've helped uh, a few people 
house hack in Lincoln Park and Allen Park. Um, you know, Lincoln Park's not too far from from where you are. And and right. Allen Park notoriously has sewer backups and has a lot of uh, sewer problems. Right. And um, I have people that I, you know, just had come to me and said, hey, you know, this had happened to me. Uh, and I'm like, man, listen, I mean, you go you go through the legal process, you know, but uh, it, not all the time does it go in your favor. I'm like, dude, for one hundred and twenty five dollars, you know, we can get, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I mean, to me, it is the absolute best investment you can ever make because the amount of money it takes to, you know, to get those things fixed. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be uh, somewhere around that, and you don't even know what type of what the bonds and stuff are gonna cost. And there has to we got to take down the neighbor's fence to get a truck down there because exactly. they have to dig 15 feet deep. And there's like wires that like hang really low in the back. It is, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, um, for but sure. It's the process at the end of the day. <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah. So if anyone's listening out there right now, absolutely. You know, if you if you have uh, city sewer, get it scoped. Uh, figure it out. Even if there's an issue, that's not the end of the world. You know, you can decide that, hey, you know, paying 10, 15, whatever it's going to cost, $1,000. Uh, well, let, let's let's address this up front. You know, let's either get the sellers to take care of it or have them drop the price. Um, you know, that's what happened uh, on a property in Berkeley. No one uh, knew about it. We got it scoped. Um, you know, of course, it, it's, it came back about $12,000 to do it. We The seller ended up dropping the price to do it just to get it done, you know. And so, uh, you know, you could figure those situations out, but to have that, you know, have that conversation up front, figure it out. It's like 100, 150 bucks to get a, a respectable company to come out there and, and throw a, a camera down that drain. Absolutely do it. 100%. I, uh, yeah, learning experience to say the least. Sure. So you're not, you're not hundred percent real estate. Um, you have a lot of businesses that you own. Are you very entrepreneurial? Um, one of my favorite stories that I've seen, I've seen it on TikTok. You're talking about how you started repairing cell phones and you learn to do that by just taking apart your phone, putting it back together over and over and over. And I love that story. I mean, it shows just one determination. And like, I mean, you can, if you're going to practice something, you can create a business out of it. Um, Could you maybe expand on that story and then uh, talk a little bit more about other businesses that you're running? Absolutely. So, yeah, that that happened. It's a, that story has actually a part two to it that's even more interesting than the first story. So when I was finishing up high school, summer just finished up high school summer of going into college my little brother cracked his iphone 4 for like the 10th time and my dad was like i'm not paying to get it fixed again like we don't have to deal with having a cracked phone like that's just that's just that and i was just like so this is 2011 so this is like the peak of the youtube tutorial era where like anything you want to learn how to do you just go to youtube and there's a video greatest website ever and I was like, I just saw like a how to on something else. Like the other day, like, like right before that, I'm like, there's gotta be a YouTube video on how to fix this phone. And I was just curious. I'm like, let me check it out. I was like, Oh my God, there is a YouTube video. I was like, let me go on Amazon and see if they actually have those screens there and see how much they cost. Go on Amazon. It's like 30 bucks. This is pre Amazon prime era. So order the screen, have to wait like a week and a half for like the screen to come in and keep watching the video screen comes in. Like, I'm excited. I'm like, check it out. It takes me a solid six, six hours to take his phone apart and put it back together. But when I pressed the lock button at the end of it, it worked. And I was just like, Oh snap. And like instantly, like my entrepreneurial light went off and I like literally took my phone out of my pocket at that moment, took it apart, put it back together, 
over and over and over and over and over again till I could do it from six hours to 20 minutes. And then when I showed up on campus, like literally Monmouth University freshman, um, I was the iPhone repair guy. Like the, 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 uh, the kiosks at the mall were charging 80, 100 bucks. I was charging 60 bucks. And you didn't have to drive to the mall. I would just come to your dorm room or come to your house. So I had a car on campus and literally fix three, four, five phones a day. Um, then it got to the point where I thought for some reason it would harm the environment if I threw this cracked screens in the trash. I just never did. I just had like a big like bag or box of just like a whole bunch of screens. And I just one day, like it was getting overwhelming. Like it was just way too much, taking up way too much space. And I'm like, let me just Google what I could do with these screens. Just to, like, just curious, just out of curiosity. And I, there's this company in Alabama that will buy my cracked screens from me for $5 a screen. It's like a recycling company. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> and this is like, this is, I'm a solid year and a half. <laughs> Like, no, I'm a solid year and a half into fixing phones. Like, I had a lot of screens and ship them out and they actually pay me. And I'm like, like, there's no way that they just paid me this for all these cracked screens. And then I'm like, how many of these other iPhone repair stores know about this? And are they getting paid for their screens? And I literally go 30 mile radius of my school, go to every single Apple, go to, not Apple store, every like independent kiosk, every independent we fix iPhone shop. And literally negotiate buying their screens for anything under five dollars. I try and get two fifty was like my starting point on buying their crack screens, and then literally had a pickup date for like all their spots. Go and pick up their phones. Go back to my dorm room, box them up, ship them off to this company for Alabama for five bucks a screen. I made thousands of dollars doing that. Man, that is that is amazing. So let let let's harness that and <laughs> let's talk to everyone out there listening right now that has not necessarily done their first deal. And generally speaking, most people's first barrier to entry is down payment, or maybe they have, you know, limiting belief that, uh, maybe they haven't been involved with real estate, you know, like they didn't grow up with it. Um, you know, they, they generally don't think of themselves as someone that could be an investor or do house hacking. They just have a little bit of a limiting belief. Talk about, you know, down payment is always the number one thing that people say, Oh man, I can't save up for that. Talk about the side hustles. You know, like uh, there, there, where there's a will, there's a way, you know, and uh, just speak to somebody right now, you know, who, who maybe is, has that limiting belief on just putting into work to, you know, to go, go, go buy crack screens, you know, and, and, and make, you know, a hundred percent markup on what you buy it from AT&T and Verizon and whoever, you know, all the other repair stores that haven't figured out this $5 or all the other, you know, garage sailing, going to garage sales, do the exact same thing. Like Gary V preaches or, you know, yeah. uh, just, just, just all these other, there's, there's so many things out there. Now that, you know, a lot of people are staying working from home or, you know, um, you know, just, there's just so much out there. Speak to somebody oh, yeah. out there. Can I, I'm going to go grab something to show an yeah, example. Absolutely. See, I think it takes a lot of hustle and like hard work, but it, it takes a level of DNA and action uh, that you can't teach. You can't show like I'm I, I have no reason doing this or buying this, but it's in my what's the word? It's just in my blood that hearing a side conversation that these little chips right here, packy one chip hot chip challenge yeah. for anywhere from $19 to $30 right now on eBay. But at Huck's gas stations here in Missouri, they're going for six bucks. So literally, I bought two of them. So literally, just bought them. So I'm gonna throw them on eBay, making sure I can get what I can get for them, and then I'm gonna oh, pull the whole store out and literally flip them on eBay just because 
that excites me. Like, yeah. I think small yeah. things like that, like, I mean, that, that's a, if there's anyone out there, check your local hucks, see if those packy chips are anywhere from six to 10 bucks. Cause you'll be able to at least make a hundred percent on those. But like, yeah, it's about getting, it's about also what Gary V says and he preaches is, is, is micro speed and macro patience. Like, yeah. If you're broke right now, you don't have the audacity to think that you should be in a deal tomorrow. Like you have to be patient. But in the micro, you need to be on fire. Like like your face is on fire. Like working your tail off, trying to figure out different grinds, different hustles. Knowing that if you go to Marshalls or TJ Maxx and look at the cleat section, you'll be able to find some cleats there for like twenty four to thirty dollars that you can then flip for about forty two to forty four bucks all day. Like all day. But like. That's going to take patience. Yeah. You're going to make a million dollars overnight doing that. But you can make a solid, like, there's a bunch of different deals that are just like that. But are you willing to spend four hours walking through TJ Maxx, the thrift store, uh, Marshalls with your uh, eBay uh, completed sold items and literally just searching everything there, seeing what they're actually going for and how recent they just sold for on eBay. And then going, okay, I've got 300 bucks. How are we going to turn this 300 to 1,000, that 1,000 to 10,000, that 10 to 20, and then now get into some deals? But I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I predict right now that you're going to be number one in podcasts uh, on, on Apple Podcasts one day, um, <laughs> you know, in the, in the business section, maybe even all together, because your story is it's so cool. You have such an amazing uh, mindset. And, um, you know, that's what we try to preach all the time to people is just like, listen, you know, Mike, you know, micro uh, speed, macro vision. Is that what it, is that what is uh, speed, macro patience? Patience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh you know, it's so true, you know, like, like you and I, uh, and, and Drew as well, you know, driving our, our beater vehicles, um, for the first several years and, and, and pinching pennies on certain things that most people, you know, like, I, I mean, I had a cracked screen for a long time and I refused to upgrade my phone. Cause I was like, man, like, yeah, I got the money, but like, I have big dreams. Like I, I want to be able to buy a house. I always, oh, so funny you say that I, I got to show my dad this clip. Cause yeah. I always, as an iPhone repairs, when I used to get so much crap because I always had a cracked screen. <laughs> I'm not paying for a crack. I don't care. I'm yeah. <laughs> These little things that that are marketed to us as like uh, you know staples of our uh, of being a successful person or having money. You know, uh, you know Gucci belts and and the new iPhone and you know the the Mercedes Benz or or you know the vehicle. Or um, you know, vacations, like all these things are cool in their time. Like Gary V, like I, I, you know, it's been a while since, but I used to really, really uh be into Gary V podcasts. I just don't have the time anymore. But like, like uh he used to always say, like, they all have their place. Like, you know, don't not take vacations in your life, but like maybe not take them when you're 22 years old and your dream, right. your goal is to become like you know, an entrepreneur uh, at a high level, like you're going to have to, you know, work 16 hour days and sleep just a little bit and, uh, you know, and, and just grind for a while, you know, to then have that, that ability in the future. I think we need to match the audacity of our dreams and ambitions, like with our work ethic. And most people don't do that. I think it's awesome when you say that you haven't listened to Gary V in a while, because I feel like you need Gary V, you need him, you need him. And it's like, you're going like, like you, he, and he, he says that he gives you that perspective too. He's like, you don't like, if you're doing it, you shouldn't even be here. You shouldn't even be at this conference right. or listening to me right now. Like it's, exactly. it's a, uh, another just quick piece of advice. Everyone out there who's listening, who doesn't have money. Every single person has a thousand dollars worth of stuff in their house that can be sold that they don't need. Every single person damn near, maybe there's a couple who don't, but besides yeah. that, most people do. And like, start with that thousand and start flipping.
Yeah. And like right here, you know, we all, we all have basically have a phone and no matter what your skill is, you know, you go on fiverr.com and you can, you can, you know, go, uh, whatever your talent is like, like drew, you know, being in it, you know, he can go out there and he can get, you know, $2,500 gigs doing whatever it is, you know, and, and just doing over it, going to garage sales, uh, buying stuff from your local dollar store that, you know, on eBay, uh, will sell for, you know, hundred percent markup up there, you know, whatever it is, uh, raking, I mean, right here, you know, falling in Michigan, there's leaves everywhere going out and raking leaves, Mowing, I, you know, what couldn't wait until it would snow when I was in college, like yeah. literally go to Lowe's eight bucks, get a shovel, me and my boys, boom, literally spend the whole day, make four five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks. Like when it starts snowing, there's no excuse, yeah. no excuse, but mm -hmm. there is excuses. Yeah. <laughs> The only way that I was able to uh, build up the down payments for my first couple of houses. And by the way, you know, for people that don't know my backstory, my very first house when I was 21 years old, uh, I lost every penny I had into it. I, you know, at, at the time, I mean, it was more than 10,000. I don't know the exact dollar, but it was well over uh, $10,000. And to me, I mean, that was like a million dollars. I mean, $10,000 to 21 year olds, you know, a little bit of money. And uh, my tenant got murdered. Uh, we had a national crisis uh, and like uh, just this, this great storm. I lost the place. And, um, you know, but from there, I mean, I just started side hustling, you know, I mean, I made a little bit of money in my job, but not, not enough to like build a down payment. I, you know, I used to do, um, I, I was in construction in college. So I started like, I was doing roofing projects, started out small and, and just, you know, work my way up, build clientele. I was, you know, uh, raking leaves. I was cutting grass, you know, I was just doing whatever I could to make a little bit of money. And I started saving up the money, started flipping houses like you did. Uh, you know, and then same thing. I read Brandon Turner, one of Brandon Turner's book. Figured out you could use the 203K to house hack. And I'm like, boom, light bulb. All right, let's go do a massive rehab and let the bank pay for it. You know, like you just, if you just hustle, like the light bulb moments will come to you. Like you hustle, you listen to a little Gary V, you know, you sprinkle in a little bit of H Hakeem's podcast. Like you're going to, you're going to figure out these moments, you know, like those moments will come to you, but you got to put in the work first because if you're sitting on your couch, you know, uh, watching, you know, whatever shows and and playing uh you know the new ps5 which you know nothing wrong with playing video games but like if that's all you're doing those light bulb moments are not going to come to you that's real yeah i haven't had a game system since seventh grade and yeah, I, don't have I just got hulu finally so i can watch some sports like they got yeah. me on that ad. hulu has live sports like they yeah. got um but yeah it's 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 back to what i said you got to match that the, the audacity of your dreams and ambitions with your worth ethic because if you got excuses or Anything, it's like, I don't even want to hear it. You know what yeah. I mean? I'll never forget, man. Just a quick side story. My fir very first flip, um, I, I was doing all the work myself and it was a huge deal. You know, it took me about uh, eight months to get this whole flip done and, you know, made, made good profit or whatever. But about the middle of it, it was during uh, football season. And of course, I'm a huge fan. And so I got uh, NFL uh, all, uh, all Access and NFL uh, Game Day Pass, I think it was what it was called. And, uh, you know, I had uh, DirecTV or whatever I had. And, you know, and all day Sunday and even during the week, all I was doing was watching football and, you know, whatever else I was watching on TV. And I'm like halfway through this and I have this moment where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, mm. I I'm just wasting this time. I, of course, I like football, but like it's not contributing nothing wrong with football. But just like for what I wanted to do, like there was it was not contributing at all. So I had to I end up having to pay like two or three hundred dollars to uh, cancel my service early. But I was like. This $200, I looked at it as an investment. I was like, this $200 investment in myself to not spend, you know, two to four hours a day uh, and then all day Sunday watching this is might become the best investment I ever make in my life. So I remember I actually like cut the cord. 
I had to pay extra do- extra. Uh, I don't know. I just did that. I don't know why I did, but I had to pay uh, extra to them to fix the box, and I ended up paying like two hundred fifty dollars to turn in everything early, and spent all day every day, all day Sunday fixing this uh, flip. Got it done earlier than I anticipated. Made <laughs> that money, and I ha- I have not had um, uh, cable since. And not that I don't, you know, not that cable's bad, but just for me, like I have an addictive personality. If I get cable, I'm gonna watch cable all day. And so I refuse to buy cable because I don't want to watch cable all day. So that's real, bro. To the point of like all these small things, like flipping on eBay, uh, fixing phones, um, whatever it is to make that extra cash. Like I got a closet full of stuff. I'm waiting to list on eBay. I've been sourcing stuff all summer from garage sales. And it's like, it's so exciting to find something for a quarter and flip it for 10 bucks, even though like it's not a big payday, but like, there's just like this huge dopamine rush from finding it. That's, that's like real. one of the best feelings in the world. But like, that's not something that like, I don't think flipping on eBay from garage sales is going to make me rich. Um, I don't think it's going to make anyone really rich, but I think it's a gateway to get you some money to start buying houses, to start another business. Um, you know, if you leverage these small things out, it's going to scale, it's going to grow, it's going to get bigger. I mean, just like you started off house hacking now you're buying bigger properties. Um, you're starting bigger businesses, um, things like that. But that small start is what you need to really start to grow something really large over the next five, 10 years. Absolutely. Slow growth. I think slow growth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we're, we're all super early in the process. People want to be millionaires overnight and it's the process at the end of the day. Yeah. The overnight, but, um, you know, methods, overnight methods or the get rich quick schemes, you know, end up wasting your time. If anything, uh-huh. when you could have been focusing on that slow growth. You know, maybe you spent two years chasing, some of those get rich quick schemes or whatever it is. Oh, no. If you would have done slow growth, you would have been, you know, you're miles ahead of where you would have been. That's real. So, so let's talk about uh, like the due process periods. You you had talked about that Allen Park property. Just more recently, you were under contract on a 68 unit, if I remember correctly. Um, and you guys end up backing out because the NOI was $200,000 uh, lower than anticipated. Talk a little about that uh, 68 unit. And then talk a little bit about the due diligence periods and uh, just doing your homework uh, to people out there that maybe haven't done a deal and are wondering what they should be doing once they get a property under contract. Definitely. So the deal was motivated seller. He had cancer and was uh, pretty much getting rid of his entire portfolio. And I was able to negotiate the seller to carry back a percentage of the down payment. And so it seemed like a sweet deal on paper. I mean, it was a sweet deal on paper. And there was an old school that got converted into an apartment building. And all the classrooms were essentially uh, apartment units. It was a super cool concept. And, you know, you get the pro forma from sellers, which, you know, can be fudged in any way, shape, or form. In this case, the expenses were deflated and the income was inflated. And cap rate looked super nice. And it was in a great, great area here in actually St. Louis. And essentially... Day before the inspection, during the due diligence period, you're able to get the official T12 from hopefully from the seller's account if he has one. And like literally the account emailed me the T12 as at the time I was playing for the Lions, actually. And I was driving. The mother of my child was driving from she was driving from Detroit to St. Louis, about an eight hour drive, because literally the inspection was the next day and her family's from St. Louis. We had a place to stay there. I get this email. I just remember like it was yesterday, like. Get it at the gas station. You know how fast you can just you can you know the things you need to look at when you're looking at yeah. a teacher. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, it's not right. So I'm like, let me pull out my iPad, pull out the iPad. I'm like, that's not right. And I'm like freaking out. Pull, I'm like, I'm like running the number. I'm like, this is not right. I call like the broker and she's like, 
oh my gosh. And then I like, call the owner and then it was, long story short, during the due diligence period, you can walk away from uh, a mm-hmm. property or a process. I mean, we got $100,000 was our EMD that we were able to get back and we almost lost on whatever we would have spent on that inspection, mm-hmm. which is going to be expensive. Um, thank God, we were able to walk away from that property. It, was, it hurt because then I'm like, your first thing that you're doing because all the time you just spent, the three months of that process of negotiating, getting it to under contract, raising the we had uh, 1.5 million we were coming to the table with. Now you're looking at like, okay, if I bend a little bit and give my investors 90% instead of 70%, the the cash flows will still look like how they would have looked when I first presented them. If I just take 10% or maybe if I even take just 5% just because you want this deal to work. Yeah. And it's like, if this person's lying about something as big as the NOI, what else are they lying about? Yeah. And, uh, we wind up walking away from it. Cool, man. Yeah, the saying goes out here, if if you trust pro formas, I got some swamp land to sell you. No, that's, 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 uh, I hang around a lot of brokers, man. That's that's, uh, that's a saying they got. That's, but yeah, doing due diligence, I mean, it's important, you know, and, and hiring the right people, like you said, uh, inspectors, uh, having your agents and brokers, you know, uh, verify all the all the information on that pro forma and and, uh, you know, and, and of course, if, if somebody's looking at more of residential, which is more uh, what we focus on with, with the house hacking, you know, like there, there are still things. I mean, you got to verify. You got to make sure you know what rents will be. You got to make sure you know all the, uh, you know, all the expenses on the property, you know, specifically when you're looking at house hacks. I mean, are, are the are the rental are, are each unit uh, separately metered? You know, do you have multiple things? Are there going to be uh, you know, are you going to be paying for gas for the tenants? Because that, you know, that varies and it could be expensive and you just got to verify things. That's real. And a shameless plug for for real estate agents like yourself. I think that it is it's important to know that like I didn't realize how many people didn't know that a real estate agent is free. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are a lot of people don't know that. And I, 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 I like to reiterate it sometimes because it's like, uh, because a lot of people will think like I, I want to invest in real estate, I want to house hack my first property. Literally, my closest friends. Should I be getting my agent? Should I get, should I be getting my license first? I'm like, no. You don't you don't need a license like you just need to find a good agent in this market who's actually going to walk you through this process. That's not going to cost you anything. And if not, it, if anything, it's just going to make your process 10 times easier and 10 times more frictionless and seamless. Yeah. Know? But yeah, I had, I had to put that in there. And the, uh, you know, the real, the only reason we started this this community and podcast was to be able to find like-minded people across the country and just kind of you develop relationships with. And so a lot of times we'll get people say, hey, man, I'm in Austin, Texas. Like, do you know anyone? And we're like, yeah, Diego Corzo. Uh, like, hey, we're in New York. Hey, we're in L.A. Like, do you know people? And we're like, yeah, here's this, you know, these uh, people that we trust. And uh, the, the thing that I relate to the most is that rock stars hang with rock stars. And if you find a really good, whether it's a lender, agent, uh, whatever it is, the the first, you know, somebody that is really truly knows the market is really good. The thing that they hate more than anything is like um, working with someone that's mediocre within that transaction. You know, if you find a really good real estate uh, agent, they, you know, coming from like me, like I detest hating, uh, uh, you know, using lenders that are mediocre, don't communicate, screw over their clients, don't close on time. You know, same thing with title, uh, title companies, same thing with, CP, you know, working with accountants, same things working with lawyers, like they know the market. And especially if you're going with the first one finding, and of course I'm biased, but like finding a real estate agent that is really good in whatever area you're at, that is actually really good. And it's actually an investor and it's actually going to know, like there's some agents obviously that aren't, uh, good fits for investors. But if you find somebody that is actually an investor and actually knows the market, they're going to plug you in with a lot of other rock stars 
where you don't have to spend time meeting with 10 different lenders uh, and figuring out which one's good because they're all going to try and tell you they're, they're you know, you're going to get an agent that has done transactions with all these people and they can say, listen, this person, you know, doesn't close on time or, hey, this one, whatever. Uh, and, you know, rock stars hang with rock stars. No, I think that's that's that's, that's unbiased, man. I, I think that uh, I think that that's the best the best piece of advice I always give people is how do I how do I get approved for an FHA loan? How do I get a mortgage person? Blah blah blah. I'm like, start with your agent. Your agent has someone who's going to make sure this deal closes because it's at both people's best and everyone's best interest at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And investor agents, on top of that, in my own opinion. Yeah. They're looking at everything with investors' eyes versus transactional. Uh, for for sure. And and the, the uh, number one tip I give people to find that uh, for people listening is I the quickest way that I've found, because I've started to, people ask me in different areas, whether it's around the state or in different, you know, uh, hey, do you know an agent? And maybe I won't. So the, the I started doing this for clients and I've had really good luck. And so I've, I've relayed it to others is that call the local, uh, you know, real estate companies, uh, you know, Remax, Berkshire Hathaway, whatever it is, Keller Williams, you know, call their office, talk to the office manager and say, Hey, listen, they may have 30 agents uh, within there. Hey, who's, who's the, who invests in property, who has investment properties, who has rental properties or flips, like who's the one doing whatever you're looking to do. And that office manager knows the entire staff. They know exactly who's flipping and who's just an agent. Like there's a place for each one. If you're looking to buy a house, you might want to work with somebody that is an investor, you know, whatever. Uh, but if you're actually looking for an investor friendly agent, call the office manager, say, Hey, who is the one that's actually uh, doing buy and hold long-term rentals? They'll say, it's this person. You know, and then you'll call another agent. They'll, they'll say this person. That's the easiest way to find three to five agents to interview because they're all uh, already investing. You then sit down or have a Zoom call with, with you know, those uh, three to five people you find and you figure out which one relates to you the most. The one that you, you enjoy hanging around with, the one that's best at their job. You ask them the questions that you have. I mean, we have a list of questions as well to ask, but like, that's the quickest, easiest way to find investment-friendly real estate agents, in my opinion. You've done a couple of house hacks. You did that 68. Is there, are there any other units in between uh, there that you'd like to talk about? That Not, not that are going to bring much value to, yeah. to, your, to, your, to your audience. Uh, yeah. um, yeah. Real estate standpoint, like I said, we're, we're, we're essentially trying to stay cash heavy and, and trying to witness and, and, and stay on the sidelines until the back end of this, this pandemic, you know, from the individual effects, I think there's going to be a massive market shift in terms of what's an A market, what's a B market, what's a C market, um, and a lot of different places from a, a macro scale and then like micro in terms of specific markets. Yeah. So let's look, you, you, you know, you're, you have a media company, uh, cannabis company, real estate company, um, you know, long-term five, 10 years. Like what, what, are, what are you kind of leaning into more? You talked about right now, uh, being a little bit on the sidelines and leaning into your ability to make money right now. So that you have, uh, you know, when things turn and there's blood in the streets and real estate, what's sort of the long-term, uh, you know, thoughts you have? Me as long-term, I just want to be happy. Uh, that's my yeah. success metric personally. Um, so I, do what makes me happy. I played football for three years. I retired because I wasn't happy. Took the 2018 season off. And now I'm training to actually come back because I've got that itch to play again. Um, I, I told my agent, I've got 24 months. I'm going to put my head down. And if a team picks me up, awesome. If not, awesome. Um, with my media company, you know, I, we, I plan on trying to build a, a Madison Avenue style holding company where I can buy and run businesses through my media machine long term. Uh, just being an entrepreneur, I've realized, you know, the, the, the realm that I'm in of doing TikTok consulting for these different companies, I realized it allows me to get a foot in the door of a lot of places that outside of being a former NFL player, I know I can bring immediate value to any business 
um, with the knowledge that I have on that platform, which which really helps, which is just really interesting. That this has kind of got my mind kind of thinking as I as I you know formulate my plans for the future. Uh, from a real estate space, you know, real estate's a forever entrepreneur. Like my my thesis is entrepreneurship is a forever game. I think I want to get that on a T-shirt someday. Yeah. Um, real estate, uh, I plan on buying large apartment communities, 150 plus unit apartment communities in certain markets that I want to focus on uh, in a co-syndication type of uh, method. Uh, pretty much bringing private capital and partnering with experienced operators in those specific markets. Um, I've just over the years realized I'm not the biggest fan of operations or even asset management. Um, I want to be on the capital raising and deploying side of things. Um, and then from a cannabis standpoint, you know, we see ourselves either, you know, from a, a five-year standpoint, whenever it does go re- recreational on a nationwide basis, uh, having a real conversation of either selling for, you know, a nine, 10 figure type of number to a, a larger, you know, alcohol, tobacco type of company, or actually becoming a big time player um, in the cannabis space, you know, internationally being right on the <clears throat> Canadian border and then having an airstrip right in that town to supply the rest of the United States. But yeah, that's, yeah. As long as I'm happy though, who knows? I could, I like magic too. I could all of a sudden yeah. become the next David. Blaine. <laughs> hey man, j- join the jets and Gary V will probably hire you to uh Vayner media. I always, I always uh, put out content when people always like, ask, what, what, what team you want to play? Like, maybe jets. And I'll always yeah. tell Gary, cause maybe I'll get to meet Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll be your boss. Maybe he'll buy the jets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so a question we always ask is, uh, and we talked a little bit about throughout this show, but like, What's the difference between those that actually do and, and you know, we talk about it specifically in house hacking, like, like what's the difference between those that, those that actually house hack and those that don't like what, what's that X factor that separates those that do what they, you know, set out to do and those that don't. Uh, I think it's their intentions and their why. I think some people want to house hack because it's, it feels cool to be in real estate because real estate's hot. It's sexy. It's entrepreneurship in a, in a way, shape or form. Um, and I think a lot of those guys aren't, they don't wind up being successful because they're not in it for the right reasons. They don't realize all the stuff that comes along with it. Um, I think the people who are successful, I think are those natural born grinders. Um, but I also think it's people who to, to approach things with a level of practicality. I think a lot of people are in la la land when they think of things like, oh, I want to buy an apartment building in this in Hoboken, New Jersey, or in Royal Oak, a nice fourplex and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, I just found a duplex for $800,000. What the hell is wrong with you? Um, but like in the sense of a lot of people are in La La Land versus in like just a pure practitioner versus like reading Brandon Turner's book on low and no money down investing and then starting to taking the steps of meeting some people on bigger pockets, of finding an agent. Find like what's the next step to, to, to start house hacking? Find an agent. Like you should have an like that like you're not even serious with me until you tell me you found an agent. They've set you up on the MLS and you're getting an email every day of every multi-unit that's coming on the market in that market, and then you're actually underwriting that because yeah. you're not serious if you're not doing that to a point. So I think there's a level of oh, I want to buy a, a fourplex. I drive around you know every other day and I saw this property, saw that property. You're not serious at the end of the day. I think, yeah. but. It's back to exposure and education. Like, what do you know? How do you know how to get into this? Getting exposed to a podcast like this, you'd know that your first step is start calling agents. Like tomorrow, you could be underwriting three, four, five, 10, 15 properties, but you haven't called an agent yet. Yeah. I have, I have a theory, you know, just about that. It's like the shiny object syndrome, right? Where people, 
you know, wholesaling and then this and then that and then this and then that. And and I love what Brandon Turner says is that it almost doesn't matter what your first deal is. As long as it's something to where, you know, it's a it's structurally sound, uh, you know, you just it's just kind of an average deal. The the you know, I, I, probably like you, I read a lot of books. I, I listened to all kinds of podcasts, bigger pockets being the, the one most of it. My first deal you know, it would have taken me, you know, I learned more in that first deal than if I had read a thousand books, just that experience, uh, you start to relate things. And so if you can literally just, you find a, a rockstar agent, you find the rockstar lender, they point you in a direction, you know, you get an inspection, the house is structurally sound. You make sure that the, you know, you don't have sewer problems, uh, yeah, you know, this and that, and you just break even it's a win. It's a huge win that, you know, and, and, and it just gets the ball rolling and you you do away with you know uh, shiny object syndrome. Um, you know nothing wrong with wholesaling. Nothing wrong with buying a hundred uh, you know unit apartment. Nothing wrong with flipping. Nothing wrong with this. But if you can just narrow down and figure out one thing, and all you do is focus on that one thing every single day, uh, you know, and you actually execute on that one thing, like house hacking, which is why we started a podcast directed solely on house hacking. Was like, listen, yeah, it's great if you want to wholesale. But, you know, ultimately, most people want to just buy their first deal. What's the easiest way to do it? Get someone else to pay for it. So if you buy a house hack and you actually just focus on house hacking and you do that house hack, it's going to lead to so much more, whether you want to build a real estate company or not, like eliminating 35% of your your uh, budget, which is housing, which is the average American's housing. Like if you eliminate that by having someone else pay for your mortgage, boom, now you can go focus on being happy, going, doing a media company, going, building a, uh, you know, cannabis company, going, focus on playing the NFL, going to be a pro bowler like Drew, you know, is and was like, you know, like there's just like, love uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. It's <laughs> the best. 226 high score. Actually, I have my birthday party at that that spot on uh what do you call it? That first bowling alley in Detroit. Was it Thunderbolt? Yes. I, I love that place, man. Yeah, I've won so many. I love it. I've won so many tournaments there. I used to live, I live in Grand Rapids now, but um I lived in Centerline, Warren. And uh when I was bowling professionally, I moved to Detroit because it's bowling capital of the world. There's tournaments galore. That's and so yeah, dude, I spent a lot of time at Thunderbolt. That's awesome. That is all you know. I, I, I mean Bradley, I I couldn't uh I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's, it's, I think it's, it's one, it's shoot first, aim later. I think a lot of people are just scared to start shooting and you, you know, education you're going to get that real world education is unreal. And I saw you quoted, uh, not even quoted. It sounded like you were mentioning, uh, is that Gary Keller's one thing, the book? Yeah, yeah that's an amazing book, man. Great book. Talk yeah. about reverse, reverse engineering everything to the second is one of my biggest strengths but the hardest thing also for me to do, like I, when I do it, I'm dangerous. Like when I reverse engineer that, okay, I want to raise a million dollars, but not tomorrow. I want to raise a million dollars over the next four months, but then reverse engineer it to the day, to the second. Like it is, you can make everything so practical when you, that book is, that book is unreal in my opinion. It shows that mentality is like the same at every aspect of life. Like Brad's talking about, you know, just get that one deal under your belt. And then you're going to do more deals and it doesn't really matter how you get started. I mean, for you, you, you got switched to tight end, right? And you talked about how you had to catch hundreds of balls over and over and over and get better and better and better. And if you didn't go through that grind of learning how to catch and all the practice that you put in, I mean, it would it be a fair assessment that maybe you wouldn't have made it into the NFL without that effort. Oh, hundred percent. And, yeah. and that's, that's the practice, right? Like getting that first deal under your belt, that's just practice. 
you know, that's just practice for the game, which the game might be in two years. Um, you know, trying to make it to the league, trying to become a big investor, you got to get that first deal under your belt just to practice. I agree. People all, all the time, people say, I'm waiting for the crash. That's fine. You know, if you want to get, uh, you know, cheaper deals, I mean, that that's the entrepreneurial spirit, buy low, sell high, right? Uh, and they talk about, and then they talk about raising money. Well, I'm like, listen, here, uh, here's the deal. No investor is going to invest in you if you don't have a track record. Like, I, I, you know, if, if when everything, when the when the market squeeze, when when no one's lending, just like, you know, if if we have something similar to, you know, 2008 to 2012, you know, where everything kind of pinched and, and no one's lending money and yada, yada, like, and you're trying to raise money, like, good luck if you don't have a track record. And, and I keep telling people, listen, this is a 50 year game. Like, you know, I love Gary Vee, I think talks about it. a lot of people talk about it. You talked about it. Like, let's 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 look at doing this for 50 years. OK, whether the market, you know, uh, crashes tomorrow or or in five years, if you're in this game for 50 years, it doesn't matter. OK, if you find a decent deal and you house hack and you live for free, it doesn't matter. In 50 years, your house is probably going to be worth more. Uh, and so. So let's let's build a track record. Let's be able to show people that, hey, I went through this pandemic and I was, you know, made my payments and, you know, you know, we, we worked with our tenants, we yada, yada. And then you buy your second deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, the market turns and you can go to investors and say, listen, I have this track record. Now I have this great deal here in front of me. I'm already an investor. Invest in me. That is way easier than someone saying, hey, listen, I've been listening to Bigger Pockets for four years, uh, you know, and I haven't done a deal yet. Will you invest with me? Well, you know, the chances of that happening is probably slim. Very true. Very true. Before we wrap up, man, talk about uh, you talked about a couple of books. We talked about the one thing. Uh, you know, what, what's a what's a book or a podcast that, you know, inspires you right now? One of my favorite books is called The Go-Giver. Uh, by Bob Berg, really good book on giving. Giving is one of my favorite things to do. Um, but it really breaks down the why behind giving and different intentions behind giving and taking the selfishness. And if there is selfishness, understanding the selfishness behind giving in certain ways, shapes or form. Um, really, really good book from a podcast standpoint. I'm the same way. I, I haven't been listening to much. Only thing I do listen to if I'm going to listen to anything is Gary's, but I don't listen to it like every day. Like I'll scroll back through. I'll be caught. I'm caught. I'm like probably two weeks behind, but I don't want like there's certain things I'll see and I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that. Oh, that looks like yeah. that's going to be value. I'm going to sure. listen to that today. But sure. besides that, that's that's it. I'll listen to some. Uh, what do you call it? Um, there's a couple just with my what my business is doing right now on the TikTok side. I'll listen to a couple of there's a couple of podcasts that bring on uh, other people essentially doing what I'm doing and the success and what they're doing with certain businesses and how they're. Uh, doing it, but there's not like one specific podcast. I'll like follow certain people, if that makes sense. Well, man, I mean, I'm just going to go out and say this has been my favorite episode we've done just because you have this uh, this track record of just bucking social norms, you know, and I mean, being a football player, I, I was just kind of um, I, I read and watched a lot about ESPN had a 30 for 30, you know, that I really enjoyed about, at, uh, mm -hmm. I think football in specific it was, but they have a few about pro athletes going broke, you know, and, and just the mindset behind it and why it happens, why it's so, uh, you know, I know Ryan Broyles has a, has a true heart for helping athletes um, because, you know, it was something like, I think he, while he's playing for the lions after Oklahoma, uh, he w was living on 50,000 a year. I think him and his wife had set 50,000 as their, um, as their living expenses. And then whatever his salary was with the lions, they banked everything else, you know, now he's, uh, but like, it, it's really challenging getting in environments like the NFL, like normal society where 80 plus 80% 80 of people are living paycheck to paycheck to live a life differently. And you have 
spent your whole life doing that. Uh, and I'm so excited for your podcast because being an NFL player, it comes with a lot of prestige and there will be a lot of people drawn to you and your podcast and your platform and just getting to know you and, and being on this podcast. I have no doubt that you're going to be incredibly successful at it, that you're going to touch a lot of people's lives, hopefully a lot of NFL players lives, uh, a lot of pro athletes in general. And uh, man, it's been a thrill. Oh, man, I really appreciate that. That means the world. Before we go real quick, is there anywhere that people can look you up? Uh, where would you like to send people to learn more about you? Uh, probably the most practical content that I'll be putting out is on LinkedIn. And that's just Hakeem Vallis. Um, outside of that, you know, from a, you know, TikTok, I'm on TikTok and I'm posting on there two, three, four times a day. That, that's the real me uh, always. But LinkedIn is going to be your just pure value add content, whether it's awesome. about a platform on TikTok, whether it's about real estate. It's just more about the now of whatever I'm doing in a business sense. Awesome. We'll link that in the uh, show page and in the description. Awesome, my friends. I really, really enjoyed the show. Thank you guys for having me. No doubt, Hakeem. And thanks uh, for coming look on. Forward to, yeah, growing our relationship in the future. And, and best of luck, man. 100%. You guys have a good one. Cool.